Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Sabrina Stanley is a pro runner for Adidas Terex based in Silverton, Colorado. Over the last three years, she has quickly become one of the best 100-mile mountain ultra trail runners in the world. She's won Grand Raid, the Hurt 100. She's a two-time winner of Hard Rock, and she has the Nolan's 14 FKT as well. In this conversation, we recap her latest race at Madeira Island back in November. We look at what's on tap for 2022. We dive into how she's able to take both training and recovery so seriously. And we also spend some time talking about sponsored athlete life, particularly her relationship with Adidas, which I found interesting. One thing I want to note before we dive in, as you know, we are always on the lookout for people in this sport that break from the status quo. Sabrina is definitely one of those people. It's something I personally admire. And whether you agree or disagree with some of her thoughts and approaches, I do hope you appreciate what I call the marketplace of ideas and perspectives. I don't think I would be doing my job correctly if um, I didn't investigate that. Sabrina reminds me so much of the athletes I used to compete with and against in the football, basketball, and baseball worlds. I think she's filling a gap in our sport that's sorely missed. I love how she talks the talk and walks the walk. And yeah, like I said, I can't wait to see how 2022 unfolds for her. With that, let's dive in. Sabrina Stanley, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thank you. I'm stoked to be here. Do you see yourself as the best female mountain ultra trail runner in our sport right now? I would like to, but I feel like if you're asking the question, then that's the answer in itself. Like, I would like it to get to a point where it's just assumed and not asked. And so as long as the question's being asked, I don't think I am yet. I do think I will be in the future, but I think you have to have the UTMB course record to claim that. And I haven't won UTMB at all yet. I think that I am the toughest. And I think that I'm like, pardon my language, like the baddest bitch in the sport right now. But I don't think that the world sees me as the best, even though I feel like I beat the best this summer, but my time will come. <laughs> How far away are we from that point where you can confidently say, I think that my record speaks for itself? If we're talking mountain hundreds specifically, I would hope that is solidified this summer with UTMB. If we're talking ultra running in general or hundred milers, I would like to win Western and I would like to win Leadville. And once I have those under my belt, then I think I can be proud of my accomplishments. I have a handful of accomplishments now, but UTMB is the epitome of being the best. And and is that the focus for 2022? Because I was just scrolling through your ultra sign up and it looks like uh, hard rock is on there as well. Are you going for a double or what does that look like? Oh, I don't know. It's so far out. UTMB is definitely the goal. I don't know. I, I feel anything could happen, especially since we all live through COVID. And so like backup plans, they're almost necessary now, but last year I thought I was going to do hard rock UTMB kind of, and then hard rock was definitely the focus. So this year, um, UTMB is the focus and we'll see where training in summer goes, but UTMB is like the A goal. Gotcha. And so will you treat it in a similar fashion to the way that you treated hard rock where you go out there months in advance, you're living and breathing the course, you're studying the route, you're getting the history of it all nailed down. What does that look like? It'll be similar. It won't be exactly the same just because I live in Silverton. So it was very easy for me to learn the course and to get my pace chart set in stone before the race, I knew where I could push and where I needed to maybe hold back a little bit. So with UTMB, I will go out hopefully early June and then be out there through mid July, late July, and then fly home for a few weeks and do the final touches of my training here in Silverton, just because I feel like I train better at home where I have a sauna, I have my American diet, like whatever that entails, like just being at elevation here, I think is a huge advantage as well. So I will be in Chamonix early summer in training and then come back to the States for six weeks or so, and then fly out a week early. Interesting. So I want to talk about Madeira for a bit. And from what I understand, based on your I Run Far interview, you went out a month or two in advance, you lived and breathed the course. Did any of that experience make you change your mind about how you would 
prepare for you, Tim? Man, I haven't really talked about Madeira for a reason. <laughs> I haven't done any posts on it or anything. To be honest, I feel very embarrassed of my results there for what I'm capable of. I didn't have a great day, which is to be expected. It just happens. I had serious headlamp issues. And so the first eight hours of the race, seven and a half hours of the race, I feel like I legit lost on a conservative end two hours. And so what were the headlamp issues? I'm really, uh, like my headlamp was not working. Oh wow! So I had a little bendy that was like less than a cell phone light that I was holding by my knee or like as low as I could to see the trail, the uphills. I was fine. Cause like, you don't really need, I mean, I knew the trail. I don't need that much light to climb, but just being able to descend was not really an option because it was so technical and legit dark. So I was running with other runners as they passed me and trying to hang on as long as I could. Eventually they gap me. And then I would just walk or like slowly jog, trying to make my way through the course, wait for the next runner and try to like hang on their heels as long as I could and just kept praying for the sun to come up. Um, hmm. so I feel like that race definitely didn't show what I'm capable of as a runner, but I'm never going to have headlamp issues again in a race because I learned my lesson the hard way. So yeah, Madeira is, is very bittersweet to me. Like I said, I'm stoked. I finished, but yeah, I feel like being at elevation is a huge help. I mean, I was in good shape going into the race, but like your diet's just different being in a foreign country for that long. I try to be as gluten-free as I can. And that really wasn't an option there. And so, yeah, I do think that the comforts of home and just like being on your own routine and having a consistent routine that you are familiar with is a huge advantage. What went into your decision to line up for Madeira in the first place? I know you made a really admirable decision saying coming off hard rock, I don't feel fully prepared for UTMB. And if I can't go to the well there and, and put up a great performance, I'm just not going to do it. So was Madeira always going to be that alternative or were you weighing other options as well? No, I mean, I decided to do Madeira like two weeks before UTMB ish. So I just felt like my season wasn't complete. I know like 2021, the start of it, COVID was still like shutting races down and they weren't happening as frequently. So I feel like my season started late. I did a 50K in May, training run leading up into Hard Rock, had a stellar training block going into Hard Rock and a great run there. And so I felt like I just had those two races. And on a normal year, I'd say I do the last, the previous two years I had done five races, excluding 2020, obviously. Mm -hmm. So to have just two races, I really felt like I was missing something. I felt because I didn't do UTMB that, and it was totally self-inflicted. Like there's a little bit of pressure on me to do one more race before the end of the year, just to cap off the season. Cause I mean, the end of July, I feel like isn't really the end of a season. And so I wanted to do one more race. So yeah, I thought that Madeira would, was like a nice time of the year and the course suited me and end of September, early October, I was going to be in Austria for an Adidas team camp. So just made sense. Like I was already over there, just on the way home, stopped for like a month and a half and yeah. then continue my trip home. I feel like all of us learn something in a training block. I know you had mentioned that during the race, it was technical difficulties, but were there any elements of that lead up to Madeira that you are looking to take with you into future blocks, anything you learned? I mean, just leading into hard rock, I really pushed myself in speed workouts and tempo workouts and hitting specific paces. I knew I was going against Courtney. And so that training block, I put everything out there. Like I knew going to that race, I was going to win. And if I wasn't going to win, it wasn't because of lack of anything, but legit, just like human potential of what I was capable of. And so when I went into that race, I felt like I nailed that training going into Madeira. I don't want to say the focus wasn't there, but the training definitely wasn't the same. I don't know. Cause I don't want to take anything away from the winners of the race because at the end of the day, there's so many aspects to it of strategy and pacing and training that go into it that make you a great runner. And it's not just who's the fastest or the most in shape. And so I got beat, I feel on gear and that's on me and that's my fault. I don't know. It just doesn't, it wasn't a great experience for me, but yeah, I will definitely be returning to my hard rock training block and not really even thinking about my Madeira training block or my mental state or what happened during that race. So earlier in the conversation, oh yeah, of course. So actually one thing I want to ask you is you had mentioned that when you think about like 
the Mount Rushmore of races, so to speak, like it's Western States, it's UTMB, it's hard rock. I'm sure we could add a couple others on there. Do you feel any desire to come back to Madeira one day to put up a performance that meets your expectations? No, I definitely want to go back. It's so hard to train for a race like that in April. Like honestly, the timing for Madeira because of COVID was ideal for me at the end of a season. It'd be nice if it was like at the end of summer or something like that. Um, I believe it's like first or second week of April this year, 2022. It's just a really hard time to train for that in Silverton because of the snow. Our trails don't melt out till mid-June. So it's definitely in the back of my mind. I think that I would have to either go back out there early again or spend a few months somewhere training that isn't Silverton. Cause right now all I have are like eight miles with 1500 feet to gain, which isn't, it's not Madeira running for sure. Yeah, I don't think I could show up in April and be my best unless I moved somewhere for a few months again. Why do you think so few runners in our sport vocalize their thoughts on competition and speak confidently about their abilities and where they stand in the sport? Because I come from like a basketball, football, soccer background where rivalries are common and beefs are common. And it's cool to speak on those terms. The ultra world, in my opinion, by comparison is so boring. And you're like the only person in the sport, in my opinion, that actually brings over that sort of voice and personality. So I would love to get your thoughts on that. It is so boring. It is so boring. The problem is, well, I don't know. I like last night we were watching uh, Monday night football and I honestly was just like doing a puzzle and listening, but it was on the TV and just listening to the announcers talk about the game. Every single sentence I was like, they were just so blunt about each player's potential, about each player's weakness, about matchups and it was very insulting to some of the players, but it wasn't like they were trying to be insulting. It was just facts. And I think that ultra running people are so sensitive for whatever reason. And it's nothing. Cause I, I do, I really like to speak honestly. And obviously I think everybody speaks honestly in their own house, but I grew up also in a team sport background where you analyze the other team and you see their weaknesses and you strike. And so for me to say that so-and-so, if they're not going to win, they're going to drop. It's not me like attacking their game. It's just facts. Like if she's in second place or if she knows she's going to get past, I'll bet you hundred dollars she drops. And that is just what it is. And I feel like people get offended by that honesty, or they think that trail running shouldn't be competitive because you should just be out there enjoying the mountains. And if that's the case, then like just do fat ass events or something, but there's going to be a time clock. Like it's a game and I get paid to do this. It's my job. And so I'm not going to be out there and just have fun and enjoy the trails. Like I'm going to study my competitors and I'm going to know mentally where they're at. I want to know where their training's at. I want to know what their races were this season, if they're dealing with injury. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being open about that. It shouldn't have to be like, I have to hide that competitive side, but yeah, um, a lot of people get offended by it. A lot of people think that it's bad for the sport, but I think that the sport's growing and more money is getting infused into it. And with that, I think comes more players in the sport and hopefully more competition. If somebody was talking shit about me or being honest and saying, well, this is her weakness, then I would be like, watch my next race. And I think that's how it should be. Like, I have no problem if somebody were to analyze my gameplay, just like I could analyze theirs. But yeah, yeah, it's not like culturally acceptable in this sport for some reason. Well, do you think it's changing at all? Like has the feedback always been mostly negative or do you see changing minds? Oh man. Um, I would say it's stagnant in the sport as a whole, at least from my personal experience, if not gotten worse, I would say the more successful I become, the more negative feedback I get. But as soon as I signed with Adidas, it's taken me a while, but I feel like they encourage my thoughts. They encourage my attitude and they 100% back this competitive spirit where I've ran for other companies where I would get calls and be like, you can't say this. Like you can't, you're representing this. We're not going to re-sign you or we're not going to do this unless you are not so much friends with everybody, but just ladylike, I would say if for lack of a better word, um, where the team manager for Adidas is 
just like fly your flag and, and whatever. And it's still like hard for me to fully embrace that because there is that fear of like, I'm not allowed to say this because it is, I don't know, edgy, but I feel like each year with them, I get more comfortable and I feel like they appreciate that as well. I could be totally wrong, but my perception is even on the men's side, this is totally non-existent. Like I think one time Jim Walmsley said, I'm going to run sub 14 at Western and everyone like blew up. And that was the closest thing to him saying anything brash or beefing on anybody. Anyways, I'm curious because like you, I came from a background where it's so common and honestly encouraged and I think fun. And I think there's value to it too. I think that we get better performances out of each other when we honestly think about things in like a zero sum way from time to time. Yeah, totally. I was on a really competitive high school volleyball team, played select fast pitch through high school and played community college ball and like shit talking was encouraged. And I would say like my biggest idols in the sports world are boxers and MMA fighters. And in the world of sport, it's so healthy to vent that feeling and then not taking it. If it's coming from both directions, then like you don't take it personal because it's just out there where when there's like one person doing it, then I feel like there's a little bit of like rift or something. I don't know. I have to imagine that you're not the only person who is extremely competitive in the sport. And it just makes me wonder how many other people out there want to present themselves the way that you do but they don't because maybe they give in to like peer pressure. So I'm hoping that this conversation here is permission <laughs> to have more Sabrinas in the world because it, it just, I think it makes the sport more interesting. I agree hundred percent. And it would allow me to sleep a little bit easier at night too, knowing that, I don't know. I feel like if there were more people who were so outspoken about their goals and about their desire to win, or I don't know, just like rivalries, like you mentioned, like just, then the, I don't want to say like a ton of negative comments, but I feel like that it would be more like widely distributed or just, they would disappear altogether because it's just part of the sport. Who do you see as your rivals in the sport? I used to think of Courtney. I used to think before going into hard rock, like Courtney was my biggest rival. I'm not scared of her at all. Like I told my crew, she's either going to win hard rock or she's going to drop and she's not winning. Cause I am. And like a race like hard rock where there's over 2000 people trying to get in and you are an elite and you're giving a spot and then you drop. And there's literally people who've been trying to get in for 12 years when you're in course record pace, first place, and you could have walked it in and you quit 12 hours in. You're no longer a rival. You're not on my level. I don't quit. That's not in my vocabulary. And so to see somebody who has such success and like, if they're not winning, they're going to hit. I don't think that's good for the sport. That's not a good image that we should be portraying. If we're not going to win, we're going to quit. And so I don't know. I don't think that there's a female in the sport right now that scares me or that I don't think I can beat. Well, if we're talking mountain hundred milers. Yeah. So uh, assuming that the, the debate is around female mountain hundred milers, besides Courtney, who else do you think is in that conversation of greatest in the sport? I think Ruth Croft could give you team a go. I don't know if she'll just from speaking with her, like we're teammates. I think she's an incredible runner. I don't know if she's like super sold on hundred milers or if I would like to see her venture into that realm. But I think that she feels comfortable, like 50 mile to hundred K. But I think if she ever gave like UTMB a serious go, that she'd be a legit threat. Beth Pascal, obviously. How about Hillary Allen? I don't honestly, I think I should have had an hour on her at Madeira. Wow. And I think that she should be like thanking her stars that I didn't have a headlight in my first two hours. Wow. But um, if she thinks she can hang at UTMB, like I welcome her to try it again. This is the MMA boxing style conversations. <laughs> I dig it. I know, but people don't like this. <laughs> Obviously, like, I have no problem speaking like this. And this is how I talk in like my day-to-day -day life. But like, and I don't know when this episode comes out, but like for the week after this, like, I get so anxious and I just, I hired like a sports psychologist to talk me off a cliff because I don't know, people don't appreciate it. I don't think. And there are some like women that do reach out and thank me for being so competitive, but I think as a whole, the sport doesn't appreciate my attitude. I think you would be surprised. And may maybe I'm just like, yeah, I think it's just like the negative voices are the loudest. 
And I am, I feel like my skin is getting much, much thicker. I think like the crux was after Nolan's and for some reason, people weren't stoked. I went back and took that record. Like it was poor sportsmanship for me to do that twice in a summer, which if I can do it twice in a summer, why wouldn't I? But I think that was where it hit me the most. And then since then, I've just been like working on not reading comments, not indulging or losing sleep on people who don't know what it takes to do what I do. Well, let me say, I think you would be surprised at how much people actually want these conversations to be happening. Just being in the podcasting world, I talk with a lot of people in our sport that talk with a lot of people in our sport and they hear this desire for this conversation to be happening. So even if you're not hearing it to your face, I think there are a lot of people that are like craving this type of chatter. So I think it's just tough being a first mover in any sport or culture. And it sucks to be alone for a while, but I don't think it's going to be that much longer if I had to guess. Yeah, I hope so. I hope you're right. I do want to give Hillary credit because I just finished reading her book and she does admit in the book to looking forward to quote unquote slaying bitches when she's out there on the trail and on race day. So I do want to give her some credit for being willing to uh, admit to loving the competition and having the rivalry and stuff like that. But that's interesting. You don't put her in contention. No, I mean, I, I saw her at Madeira. I mean, did she finish UTMB last year? Yeah. yeah. I, I just don't have any respect for elites who drop. Like that just isn't, I don't think it's part of ultra running. I think it's disrespectful to the sport. I think it's disrespectful to the other athletes who showed up or who wanted to race a race that's hard to get into. And if you're talking speed, I just, I know the kind of run I had at hard rock and I know the room for improvement there. And every single race I've done, I only get better. Madeira. Yeah, I had a shitty headlamp that happens, but I think whether it's this year or whether it's two or three years, I don't think it'll be longer than that. Like I will hold their UTMB course record. And I don't think that's in Hillary Allen's vocabulary. Like, I don't think that her name will ever be next to UTMB course record. Mm. I mean, I welcome her to listen to this and prove me wrong again, but I just don't think she's capable of it. I mean, look at the time, the times at Madeira were obnoxiously slow this year, every single one of them, mine included. Like they just weren't competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I want to say, I do want to commend you on not dropping because I do think there's a huge issue in the sport where even at the slightest hint that it's not an elite runner's day, they just quit. On one hand, I get it. You want to save your fitness for another race shortly down the road. But to me, like you finish what you start, there's honor in completing the journey, even if it's not your day. So I think that's just something to, to give huge kudos to. One thing I want to touch on though, I think you said this in an, in an interview, maybe a couple months back, you said that the day that you get beat is the day that you look to your next chapter in the sport. Is that still true? Or Yeah. I mean, I've had one DNF and that was Leadville 2015. It was my first hundred miler. I timed out at mile 87 and like that crushed me, but yeah. it also drove me to where I am today. And I had so many amazing accomplishments after that. And maybe that just like feeling of getting my ass kicked wore off and I needed to be woken up. And so Madeira woke a B-step, I guess, but I'm super pumped for UTMB. Let's just say that. Switching gears a little bit here. Where does your ability to appreciate and implement rest and recovery come from? Because for someone that's so competitive, you're also able to rest without really like thinking twice about it. I think it comes from when I started running just as like a hobbyist, I read a lot of books about how to be a great marathoner or even half marathoner, a great, um, I don't know. I just read a lot about what it takes to be an ultra runner. And I was just looking for like middle of the pack advice. Like what is the sport about? And to me, the sport was about having an A race, training for it adequately, nailing it, resting and then going into your next a race like there is no b c plan you do the sport justice you put the training in and you finish the race and so if you are racing every month that's really hard to do that's a lot of damage to your body and i as time went on like i want to be as competitive as long as like one like can be i don't want to have a five-year career i want to have a 20-year career and so i don't want to be like i know like our sport's so small and like these accomplishments will be forgotten in time, but while I'm around, I want it to last as long as I possibly can. 
And I take that really seriously. And so, yeah, it is hard to pull back the reins sometimes, but I just think like, what are your goals and where do you want to be in a year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. And like, how do you get there by doing something today? And it's not by doing 400 milers a year for me. It's by doing maybe one or two and some smaller races and allowing my body to heal. And then also just, I think there's a lot to be said of being like mentally hungry, like for the chase. And if you're racing every two months or whatever it is like that, it's the same as like, if you have cake every day, it doesn't taste as good. Whereas if you have it once every six months or once every year, like it's a treat. And so racing should be a treat. And I do really look forward to that. Just like the feeling of the chase. I like to build that desire up. And part of that building up comes from resting and then being like, oh man, I'm soft. And like, I need to like start training harder. And like the whole process is just as enjoyable as like the main event for me. I want to preface this by saying, it seems like almost no runners in our sport take an off season. I call it the never ending now where one race just rolls right into the next training block, which yeah. rolls into the next race. Do you take a true off season? And if so, how long is it? And what does it typically look like? It depends on the year right now, although I am signed up for hard rock, like truly my next race in my mind is UTMB and I have wow. no other races in the books until then. And I would say I'm in an off season right now. Some people might argue with that. I would say, well, after every race, I take off 10 days to two weeks. After Nolan's, I took off a month. Whatever I think the previous race warrants, I take like completely off from training. No running at all. No running. Yeah. And then, so like right now, I'm averaging, I'd say 50 miles a week, give or take five miles, which I would say that's really low mileage for me. Normally, I would hit like 70 is like a normal week and 100 is like I'm really building towards something. So 50 miles a week and I'm just cruising and having like enjoying the winter and not like stressing over training really. And then when I'm four months out from UTMB, I'll really like dial in my training and start to be serious, but like, we'll just see where January and February go and then maybe do a spring race depending on my fitness. But yeah, just waiting to see where that goes. So yeah, each year is different depending on what my goals are and where I want to be for my eight race. That's fascinating. You said that it might happen, but as of right now, you have no like training slash B races on the calendar in the lead up to hard rock and UTMB. And and do you find that like, you just don't get that critical of a benefit from practicing in the lead up. You can just get it done in training. No, I mean, I do like once I dial in my heart or my uh, UTMB training, I will eight to 10 weeks out, look at 50 Ks to 50 milers and think about well, I will do something in there just to see where I'm at. But right now, I just think Hard Rock took it out of me like a lot more than I realized. And so I really want to be on my A game heading into UTMB and we'll do everything possible to make that happen. So I'm a huge fan of Strava. Like I love following athletes on there because it's an inside look at uh, their day-to-day. And two of my favorite athletes, you and and Courtney DeWalter are noticeably absent. Uh, I, I haven't asked Courtney yet, but how come you're not on Strava? Cause I think I'm slow. <laughs> like that's point blank. That's it. I don't like, I mean, I run with my partner Avery a lot and he's much faster than me. I live at 9,300 feet. I would say my average pace here in the winter, which I'm not really doing a lot of climbing. Like I said, like 1500 feet for every eight miles on average, my average pace is like 10 to 11 minutes. That's like conversation pace. I'm just like chilling. But that's not, to me, that's like, if you, if I were on Strava, like people would be like, I don't, this does not match your results. And so I feel very self-conscious about it. And I also have this fear that if I did Strava, I would lose track of what's important. And I would just go after every local legend, every like local (laughs) FKT, and I would get carried away by small things that don't matter in the long term. And I think my competitiveness would take over and I'd be like, stalking other women and seeing what they're doing. And if somebody takes my record, then I have to go back out the next day and get it back. And so I just, I think I'd be a total head case if I were on Strava and it's more like a self-preservation move to stay off of Strava. And I've just started, I would say in the last, maybe not even hard rock training, but like Madeira training for sure, like using my Garmin app and it's private, but until the last six months, I would delete every single run off my watch because I was like, 
I didn't want to see my own data because I was like, gosh, you're so slow. And I would see Avery's data and like, he's beating me about a minute or two every single mile. And it just like, wasn't encouraging to like, look at my data and like knowing what his is. And yeah, I'm getting better about looking at my data. I would keep notebooks, but modern day, like apps and stuff and seeing like the breakdown. Um, Yeah. I just, I think for me mentally, I don't need my stuff to be public and I don't need to be looking at anybody else's. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm Uh, going into a race and I know I'm racing someone particular, like that's different, but just to have like no reins, like open, whatever, like full access to everything. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. In a lot of ways, Strava is no different from like Instagram or Facebook or email where you just start to care about things that are not part of that mission. Um, I think I bring it up because as a fan of the sport, we have so few opportunities to connect with athletes like yourself in the sport. Like it's not like the NBA where like these players are being interviewed on sports center every night and training camp is filmed and they're, yeah. they're playing games every Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday night. The opportunities to interact are so few and far between that like Strava is this amazing innovation where you can look into Jim Walmsley's everyday daily life training to see like what the buildup for Western States looks like. But I get that. That makes total sense to me. I mean, if I were on a training run and every day I knew that like X amount of eyes would be looking at that data, I would push myself harder than I feel would benefit me. Like I wouldn't take true rest days. I mean, I live in a very beautiful place. And so there are multiple days where I just go out and I get to the top of the mountain and I just use my pack as a pillow and lay down and look at the sky or watch a deer or stop and take pictures of marmots or whatever it is. And I think I would lose that joy if I knew there was like people analyzing my data. And so, um, yeah, to, to keep honestly, just like the love of the trails and love of running like personal, it's healthier for me not to be on Strava. Are you coached by anyone? No, Avery and I have tried a few times with him coaching me, which is not a good mix, (laughs) but just from that experience, I don't think I could work with another coach. And honestly, it's like an ego thing. I forget who said it, but it's like, why take advice from anybody who isn't better than you? And there are a few people who I would allow to coach me, I think at this point. And I just don't, again, like people looking at my data stresses me out. Like, I just want to do my own thing. I know what I'm doing. I feel like I've gotten this far. If there's ever a point where I feel like I'm missing the mark and I could be better than I am than I am through my own devices, then I would hire one. But mm. I'm pretty happy with, with how things are going. I know you've mentioned this on other podcasts where you've gone into detail on it, but I think it's worth repeating here. Can you talk a bit about exactly how intense you get when it comes to the three to four months leading up to a big objective? Yeah. I mean, again, this is like part of having an A race. That means everything to you. It's your whole, I mean, like, so if Tom Brady has a shitty game on a Friday night, like he can just have a, uh, he can redeem himself the next week. And so for me, when you have this go once every six months, like you have to make this for six months count. And so four months out from a race, like that race is all that matters. As far as my training goes, I wake up, I do my yoga, any strength training that I feel is needed, which is to be like roughly an hour of like footwork or whatever. And then I go for a run and that run, depending on where my mileage at is that I would say like the, so I do, I always do a two week taper, but the five weeks before that two week taper is like hundred mile weeks consistently. And that's like with, I would say low end 4,500 feet of gain as much as 12,000 feet a day. And I'd say one speed workout a week, one tempo run a week. And the rest is just time on feet and moving through the mountains. And I've been really enjoying this winter. Cause these are like the first like month that I've ran without a pack. Like I, have a pack every single day with me when I'm training in the summer, because that's how long my runs are training with the poles I'm going to use or heavier poles so that when I race, my poles are lighter. My pack, I would say is much heavier. I'm not sure exact poundage, but is much heavier when I'm training than it is in race day. And I just repeat the course, like for hard rock, there wasn't a single day that I ran that I was not on the course. And so I'm just memorizing as much as I can, like what it feels like to run the section, trying to put my brain in the headspace I would be in race day, like for hard rock, the final five miles, seven miles to the finish. Like every time I ran that, I was like, you're going to be side by side with Courtney here. Like you guys are gonna be racing to the finish. So like get in that mindset, know what that pain's going to feel like and be ready for it. So I just try and put myself in the shoes of the race as much as I possibly can for any scenario. And 
yeah, I think that that mental aspect is huge. So if you have two or three races lined up, it's hard to do that. It's hard to have that amount of focus and like mental clarity going into a race. If, if you're doing a different race every other month or every month. I know that you are sponsored by Adidas Terex and I'm always curious about pro athletes in our sport. Are you able to do this full time because of that contract or do you have any other competing responsibilities? Uh, no, I mean, I coach a little bit on the side, but that's my only other source of income. I have a few other smaller sponsors, but yeah, Adidas is, I would say 90% of my income. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have kids. I don't have like really any debt. My rent's cheap. I live in Silverton. So like there are lifestyle choices that I've made to make that happen. I don't think I could live in most cities, I would say comfortably, but being childless and having like very few financial obligations helps a lot. So yeah, um, it is my full-time gig. And do you find that that setup is essential for what you want to do with UTMB and hard rock and Western States? Do you need no other obligations competing for your attention? Do you need to be able to go out when you want for a run and to do all these other things during the day, like you mentioned, seeing a sports psychologist, I'm guessing you do like recovery stuff, sauna stuff is your whole day dedicated to the build up to this. A hundred percent. I mean, I was third at Western with a full-time job, but yeah, I can't imagine working a full-time job and getting in the training I'm getting right now. Mm. There's just no way. And I was so stressed out when I was training for Western and I would say it was like the most depressed I've ever been in my life just because wow. I'd get off work and it was winter. And then you'd go run in the dark for a marathon in the cold. Like it just, it wasn't enjoyable. And I couldn't imagine doing that with a family. Like I was literally working all day, training at night, going to bed and doing it again day after day. So now, which I've read this quote somewhere too, but it's like, professional athletes, when they do it full time, they don't get more time to train. They just get more time to recover and recover better. And so, yeah, like I said, even now when I'm like, quote unquote off season, like I'm still waking up and doing an hour of yoga, sometimes a half hour I'm doing a half hour to an hour of strength training. I'm going for a run. And then I'm getting in the sauna for an hour. By that time it's three 30 or four in the afternoon. And, oh, and then there's like strength training after my run too. So that's off season. That's like taking it easy when like, when I'm out there on the trail for eight hours a day, there's just no time. Like I'm embarrassed at how bad I am at emailing, which, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so like, I just, it's not fun for me to do all that stuff. And then also be on my computer, like catching up on emails and doing all these other things. Like I just want to be on my routine and that's it and focus on what's going into my body. And so Yeah. I just doing it full-time or doing it with the full-time job, although possible, I think is not like a healthy lifestyle. I think if, yeah. I agree because if you look at any other professional sport, for the most part, everybody has dedicated themselves to their craft. And I always wonder in ultra running, how many great seasons, how many great performances are we leaving on the table? Because some of these athletes like you did at Western, you have to balance the training with another job. It's just, I I think it's crazy. If you're getting the mileage that I think it requires to be successful or to be an elite level, then you're neglecting some sort of recovery, whether it's ice bath, sauna, stretching, strength work. And then you have to, if you are, if there are certain weaknesses in your training and you need to like work on your ankle strength or whatever, like that's going to take away from your mileage or it's going to take away from your job or your time with kids, like whatever it is. Yeah. To be at the top, I think you have to do it full time. And that's none of that is even mentioning like studying splits or traveling. There's so much to it that can add to your performance that is being neglected. If you're at a job for eight hours, which most people like an eight hour day is honestly like a short day. I think now, I think most people, depending on your job, you're working sometimes 10, 12, like you're grinding. And that's just like the American culture is like just to work, work, work. I think that some athletes can still get away with it, but my prediction is that in three to five years in this sport, if you aren't doing it full-time, you're probably not going to be competitive. There's going to be too many athletes that are doing it full-time that have all the advantages that you just described, and it's going to be too compelling not to do that. One thing I'm curious about is, do you think brands right now, like Adidas and your other sponsors, do do they also agree with you that it's important for their athletes to have the resources to do this full-time? 
I can't speak on any other brand um, than Adidas. And I would say Adidas is definitely like leading the way in trying to make that happen. I mean, they have Chalet is already planned for UTMB starting in mid-June all the way through UTMB. Really? Yeah, they have, and like athletes can just come and go as you want for your training. Madeira, they set me up with a rental car. They paid for me to be over there the entire time. Whenever we have a team event together. So like we were in Austria for two weeks and they have, two PTs that are on hand full-time and you get a session a day. It's 20 minutes, but like you get that every single day. So you're seeing world-class trainers and they're looking at, you know, whatever you want them to look at. Uh, when we were in Chamonix for UTMB this year and I wasn't even racing, like they also had PTs there for, I think they were there six weeks and like, you can go every single day. They had a garage that was just like, you walk into like this two car garage and it was just a wall of shoes of every model and every size you can imagine, extra rain jackets, rain pants, any gear that you might need for training was just like walk in there and then let so-and-so know that you took something. And so they can mark it on their inventory sheet. But I think that Adidas is definitely like leading the way in the way trail runners and athletes should be treated in the sport. And I think that goes along with contracts as well. And so I think the sport is changing. I think there are some companies that need to catch up from just talking to other athletes, but it's encouraging. Like I kind of stumbled into being a part of Adidas and I'm so thankful that I did, but yeah, I do think that you're right. That in time companies will have to, if they want to be competitive in the market, they're going to have to pay athletes what they deserve to, to be a part of the competition. I wasn't aware that there was that level of support. That's incredible. Well, and that's just like, they literally had, I think four different chalets for, and they had full on the two weeks leading up to the race. It was full on catered like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you went to like the main chalet and there was two cooks there or chefs there that like made you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And there was a, like just a fridge there for snacks throughout the day. If you were going on a long hike, you just grab a sandwich or a granola bar or whatever was stocked for you. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't heard of any other company going to that extent. And I don't think Adidas is planning on, if anything, they're going to ramp it up, I think in the next 10 years. Wow. Well. On, on the team front, it, it raises a couple more questions for me. You've mentioned that you trained fairly often with your partner, Avery, who is also a world-class mountain runner, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like having other training partners to work with. Have you ever wished that, for example, you had a whole team of runners in Silverton that you could train with on a day-to-day basis? Because you do come from, as you mentioned, like a softball, basketball background where being a part of a team is a huge thing. Running is a pretty solo sport the community part does take place during events and like FKT efforts, but we're on our own a lot. So do you ever wish you had that? So in the winter, Avery stops training with me because, um, snowboarding and backcountry skiing take precedence. And luckily this year, my girlfriend, Amanda Grimes, she just moved to Silverton. She paced me at both my Nolan's attempts. I've paced her at her hard rock. And so we run together two to three times a week. And that's been my number one training partner over the last, I'd say month and foreseeable future. I could talk forever about how great Adidas is, but they do international team camps as well as like regional team camps. So like the North American team camp is in Sedona this year and it's uh, seven days, eight days, and it's in February. And so then you get to meet all the other North American athletes or reunite with them. And we just spend seven days training together. And so that's a lot of fun because a lot of them are coached. So it's like fun for me to ask about their training plans and see what they're doing. Yeah. And then also just be around other athletes and see what they're eating and what their mindset is and learn from them. And hopefully they can, I can offer something on the table as well, but yeah, you just spend seven to eight days and like the time frame varies with your team and they do two or three of those a year. And then like, anytime there's a big race where if they hear that X amount of athletes are going to be there, they're like, let's just make it a team event. So like Madeira, we had a huge showing at Madeira. I'm not sure exactly how many runners we had, but I think it was like 10 plus. So then they flew over athletes just to crew. Yeah. I would say I definitely have that like cross country type feel. And again, I think it's going to continue to grow and hopefully that grows in other teams as well. Cause I've been with other companies where it just wasn't, it's like you run for the brand, but it's very much an individual sport where with Adidas, like we have a team chat that is super active and you're encouraged to follow the other athletes. You're encouraged like their races and stuff. And you're encouraged to crew their races if you can, or go cheer and support them on. And like just this team community where 
it's like I'm not racing against Abby Hall. Like I'm just as happy for her like accomplishments as I am for mine because like her success is mine because we're the same team. And yeah, it's cool to be part of that. At UTMB, I think was our first like true showing. Maybe a second or third for Adidas Terex, but I think this year at UTMB was our first time where we showed up and like people knew that we were the Adidas Terex team and like we're all dressed the same and we have all this sweet gear and we have this presence and hopefully that presence just continues to grow. Do you think we'll ever reach a point in the sport where a brand will organize an entire team year round in one location? Like Hoka comes to mind, they have a road team down in Flagstaff and I think it is fairly common on the road scene, but we don't really have it on the trail scene. Do you think that could ever be a possibility at some point soon? I don't know. I mean, I think each athlete just varies so much because on our team, we have people who specialize in 10 Ks. We have people who specialize in hundred milers. Yeah. The range of athlete and the range of training is so different. I, I've never been like a track geek, so I can't like, I don't really know how that would transfer to ultra. It sounds awesome. And I do think if somebody were to do it, like our team manager, Robert with Adidas would be like the one to mastermind it and make it happen. When we're at team camp, like we're encouraged to run with each other, but it's not like, like what I understand track training to be or a team event that like marathoners or something go through. So maybe one day. (laughs) Who do you look to either inside the sport or outside the sport for inspiration and motivation in your athletic career? Like I said earlier, I like listening to MMA interviews. I like listening to boxing interviews. I like listening to other women who are at the top of their sport. I don't really invest much energy, I'd say, into listening to like women in my sport or men, particularly. There's just nobody mentally who inspires me. I mean, I do enjoy chatting with Camille Heron because I, I think she's another athlete who like puts it online and says, this is what I'm going to do. She's a good um, example too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really enjoy her mindset there. But as far as the true inspiration, I don't know. I like to listen. Like it comes and goes, but again, just like other dominant females in like aggressive sports. <laughs> mm. Mm. What's exciting you most about our sport right now? Um, I think that it is growing. The amount of money I think being infused into it is exciting And I think that will also help continue to make it grow. And like you said, hopefully more athletes can do it full time and it'll become a legit like sport, especially in America where it's not right now, like going to Europe, it's a whole different ball game. Like the, just the amount of coverage, the way the races are covered, the way that the towns where these races are held support the events, it's just not really a thing in America. If you win Leadville and you walk down the street in Leadville, like no local will know who you are Yeah. in Europe. Like people know who you are if you're racing. And so I think in time, like that will happen. And I think that's exciting. So I would like to see America get to the level that Europe's at. And I think to really do that, like our permitting has to be expanded so that we can have I mean, when you have races with two to 3000 runners, like that's exciting when there's 150 runners, like you can watch a few main players, but it's not as much of a core event, I think for ESPN to cover where if it were, you know, marathon size fields, I think there'd be a lot more buy-in, um, from bigger companies because the retail space would be so much larger as well, which I don't know if that's an option, but just like the permitting to have these huge fields, and there'd have to be regulations as well as like how the trails are treated. But I think that's why Europe has such a huge step up on us is they're allowed to have these huge fields that are truly impressive to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, it boggles my mind, given that it's even harder, at least in my opinion, to make a living in road running. It boggles my mind that there aren't more male and female post-collegiate runners that don't just immediately opt to trail and ultra running. And maybe that'll change soon. Well, and who knows? I feel like I live in this bubble where I just assume everybody knows about trail and ultra running, but I still think a large, large, large percent of America has no idea this sport exists. Like Avery's family lives in the Midwest and obviously his family knows about it, but I would say the majority of their community doesn't. And like my parents know about it because of me, but I found out about the sport when I was 21 and then like really got into it when I was 25. And so like my whole life, it just wasn't a thing. 
and I think that's how a lot of Americans live their life. Like it's just not an issue. And so visibility for the sport needs to grow as well. Conversely, what is concerning you or annoying you most about our sport right now? What do you want to see change? Oh man, I don't want to make this about like a particular race, but I think it's just like the openness of the races in America. And I know like, I'm sure Europe, like race organizations have their own drama and stuff, but it, it seems like I would really like to see hard rock, for example, do a public lottery. I think that would make a lot of people happy. I think that would encourage Europeans to take American racing more seriously if they knew that the lotteries were happening legit and that people weren't being handpicked for whatever reason to a large quantity in a field that's 150 or 145. And so mm. it's frustrating to me when I'm trying to be like an international athlete and be competitive on an international level and the races I'm doing in America aren't getting any respect because the way that they are ran and like the athletic performances are just as impressive as UTMB ones. But unfortunately I feel like race organizations are holding athletes back and holding the sport back in America. I mean, I'm not saying that Europe does it best, but I think that we could take a few notes from their book and, and improve trail running in America. And so it'd be more serious and more competitive. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? I don't know how to sum it up into just like a few words, but I think that people get so caught up on finding their partner and like getting a good job and living this like dream life. And then they realize at some point they're unhappy. So it sounds so cheesy to say, just follow your dreams. But I think that people should just follow whatever makes them happy. And I think other things will fall into place around that. And then like just going to high school, going to college, getting a job, I don't think is the correct path for everyone. So I think people should move around and experience different jobs and experience different cultures and even like just cultures in America. So I'd say, man, I don't know, like go explore, follow your dreams, like all those cheesy things. But like, I would maybe take time to like say it more eloquently. So it like really lights a fire under someone. <laughs> no, that was perfect. A lot of people need to hear that message. That's the perfect place to put a pin in it. Sabrina, you're one of my favorite voices in the sport. In addition to being a great athlete, I think that this conversation is going to resonate with a lot of people. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. If there's any initiatives you're working on or places you want to point people to follow you on social media, how can they do so? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So I would say easiest is just Instagram, which is Sabrina Leanne Stanley. Um, and then Adidas is really into reduce, reuse, recreate. And yeah, I would say just take that into your own life. And I'm not saying go and buy all Adidas gear, but I'd say just be conscious about recycling, be conscious about the products you're using and how fast you're going through them and um, single-use plastics and yeah, <laughs> save the world. Awesome. Well, hey, it was great to meet you and thanks again for the convo. Thank you so much. Thanks as always for tuning in. We are recording this one at the end of 2021, which tends to be a time of reflection on the year that was and goal setting for the year to come. I hope it's a time that is ultimately enjoyable and exciting for you. We are six months into this podcasting journey, and I do mean it when I say we're in it for the long haul. So I'd love to hear from you. Email me, DM me. Let me know what you think. Your feedback is truly appreciated. And honestly, it powers the show. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you are listening to the Single Track Podcast.